as we read today. This is for God's special word to you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever.
The story of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem is a story of extremes and of changes in direction. And it's all complicated by the fact that those of us who have read the whole story before, those of us who have been here for Holy Week in the past, we know that it doesn't stay this celebratory. We've spent the past five weeks or so in Lent, a waiting time of quiet contemplation, inward reflection on our need for Jesus. It's an in-between space in which church time sort of slows down. And then suddenly today the roof is blown off by these shouts of praise and hymns about little children singing and waving their palm branches. And then on Thursday we turn around and we begin the somber journey to the cross, all the while knowing that on Sunday morning, the stone will be rolled away from the tomb and death will be defeated. I don't know about you, but it makes my head spin just a little bit. Maybe that's just still jet lag and reentry shock on my part. Jesus is not the only one who would have entered Jerusalem with fanfare in preparation for the Passover celebration. Coming in from the west to make sure the celebration was all done decently and in order, something we Presbyterians can appreciate, in the holy city of Jerusalem, Pilate would have entered at the beginning of the week as well. Pilate, the one who will oversee Jesus' trial in just a few days' time. If ever there was a fitting time for uprising against the Roman occupiers of their country, it would be at the remembrance celebration of God's deliverance of the Hebrew people from their captors in Egypt. And this worldly leader would have wanted to keep the peace. He would have come into the city with grand pomp and circumstance, with chariots and fancy robes and armor and all sorts of flashy fanfare. Perhaps he made a passionate speech to get the people all whipped into a frenzy of Roman pride. He would have had anyone who disagreed with him or spoke out against him removed from the crowds. But entering from the east came a much less flashy procession, that of the Son of God who healed and cared and forgave. No fanfare, no armor, no chariots. No fancy clothes, just the son of a carpenter in regular clothes riding in on a donkey. Not even an experienced adult donkey, a young one, a colt. Pilate entered from the west with the pomp and circumstance that comes along with worldly power, military power, monetary power. And Jesus entered from the east with the subtle earthly humility, or earthy humility rather, that comes with true power, God's power. As Jesus enters, those who are well-versed in the prophets, as Luke, our author, would have been when he wrote, they see the echoes of words spoken long ago by men and women of God in difficult times. These words gave hope for a future in which the pomp and circumstance of worldly power, military power, monetary power, would all be overturned. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, 
on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Psalm 118 would also have been well known by all the Hebrew people in Jerusalem. And they shout or sing these powerful words. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They don't shout these when Pilate enters in all his wealthy and military glory. But when Jesus enters quietly and on a young beast of burden. The twist in the story is not just about what's coming in a few days when the crowds turn against Jesus. But right here. When they praise, not the one who comes in power and wealth and strength expecting to be praised. They're singing the words of praise from Psalm 118 at the entry of a small town man who speaks of peace and love, caring and compassion, forgiveness rather than retaliation, self-sacrifice rather than self-protection, service to, not power over, others. Does that make you a little uncomfortable given today's American political climate? Because it certainly should. Can you imagine what would happen today if any one of our candidates stood up and started talking about peace that comes not from war and money and power, but from humility and service in the name of God who loves all people? They would be laughed off the stage. I don't care what party they are affiliated with. People would probably start to try silencing them pretty quickly. Because that's not how our world works. As a friend said to me once when I posed this question, we'd kill him all over again. Forgiveness and compassion aren't always very popular ideas, and they are certainly not ideas that help the rich and powerful stay rich and powerful. The Pharisees see how subversive and dangerous Jesus is to their way of life, and the crowd's reaction is unsettling for them. So they tell Jesus to make that crowd shut up. As he often does in response to the Pharisees, Jesus quotes scripture at them. He quotes Habakkuk 2.11, which says, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. There is nothing no amount of money, no amount of political power or prowess, no amount of showmanship or military strength or geographical borders or other shows of false power that can be more powerful than this humble Jesus. Totally human, yet totally God. Riding into town quietly on a donkey. And even if the powers who be, those who think their ways of physical shows of strength and wealth are the ways to peace or success or whatever, even if they make the crowds stop singing the psalms of praise, the songs of praise are so powerful the rocks themselves will shout out. Jesus' gift of reconciliation and peace with ourselves with God and with one another is so astounding that creation will take over singing about it if we stop. If you've ever been in a beautiful place, you know what it feels like to hear creation singing God's praise. If we stop praising the one who comes lowly, humbly, as a servant to all, sacrificing his own life for our sakes, 
the very earth itself will cry out in praise. This is not just about how loud we sing in worship services. Although sing loudly, friends, you know I'm a fan of that. This is about the worship that comes out of every bit of our being. This is about the shows of peace and love and kindness that flow out of a heart changed by the humble Son of God. Some of us on the Rwanda trip experienced this sort of whole being worship three weeks ago. In a country where one million people died in a hundred days in a violent genocide just 25 years ago, today the entire country has focused on Christian forgiveness and reconciliation. That's ludicrous, my friends. Many of those people who died, died in churches, turned in by corrupt clergy or fellow congregants with hateful intentions. But today they are so set on unity and peace that they teach it in their schools. They have peace clubs for children to join. And in 25 years of focus on forgiveness, reconciliation, and justice, the church has grown. It hasn't actually grown that much in number because the country of Rwanda was already about 85% Christian during the genocide. That genocide was primarily Christians killing Christians. But the church has grown in faith and in depth and in purpose and in meaning and in life. I was blown away by the faith and the joy that we experienced when we went to church it was a church service in a language I know precisely one phrase in, and I'm probably saying it wrong. And yet it was clear what was happening. We did have translators, but we didn't always need them to explain what was going on. This church service lasted three hours. Three hours! I cannot imagine the revolt that would happen in any church I've ever been at if the service went three hours long. And yet, the time flew like it was nothing. There were multiple choirs. I lost count, but there were at least five choirs in that church. I'm pretty sure every single person who was there that day was in at least one of the choirs. And some people were so moved by the choirs that they got up out of their seats and joined the choir spontaneously on the spot. And there was dancing, friends dancing. A lot of it. We have photographic evidence of the dancing. And it wasn't well-coordinated dancing, for the record. This was not rehearsed liturgical dance with the streamers and the flags and all of that stuff. This was people so happy, so full of joy to be worshiping Jesus that they were just getting down to the worship music. They even had a time of praise, which is what they called um, an upbeat worship song that was there for people to dance to, just for the moms. The worship leader said that moms don't get enough time and space to worship in their everyday lives, so it was important to open up time and space for them at church to have a dance party. <laughs> for the record, ladies and gentlemen, these were Presbyterians. I don't want you getting any ideas that these were some other denomination that we can write off as being a little unstable. They were Presbyterians spontaneously joining choirs because they were so moved by the music, dancing out their joy to be with Jesus on a Sunday morning. When is the last time you experienced that sort of joy 
about Jesus? Are you really praising him on Sunday morning? Are you really shouting out or are you leaving that up to the rocks to do? And believe me, I understand there are some pretty significant cultural differences between East Africa and North America. But that said, if someone were to visit our church next week for Easter, a strong likelihood, just for the record, would the first thing they feel be the joy with which we are praising our risen Lord? We all have barriers to this joy. We all have barriers to letting the joy fly all over the place on Sunday morning. Some of us more than others. We have fears, we have hardships in our lives that are standing in the way. There are things in each of our lives that try to steal our peace. But if the churches in Rwanda can find a way to celebrate after what happened there, surely we can too. The reason that we spend time in quiet reflection during Lent, marking this time every year as one in which we search our hearts and explore deeper relationship with God, is that the peace that Jesus brings starts inside of each of us. And it is a peace that we must be purposeful to try and find. We all have conflicts, and some might say they even have wars going on inside. And until those conflicts are addressed, until forgiveness and reconciliation of self, of other, is pursued, there is no chance of peace on the outside. Our human desires for security, order, self-preservation, and predictability get in the way, just like the Pharisees saying, tell that crowd to be silent. We want to focus on the celebration of the crowd on Palm Sunday because it looks nice, but in reality, that crowd will turn against Jesus in just a few days. And in reality, we really struggle to celebrate our faith the way the crowd celebrated Jesus some 2,000 years ago. The crowds will scatter. Even the 12 disciples closest to Jesus will scatter, betray, deny. And when that happens, the very earth will shout. The ground will shake when Jesus dies. We're going to try something very simple this morning. I know you guys missed me and all of my homework that I give you. It's going to feel weird for some of you, and that's fine. Do it anyway. I felt really stupid dancing my butt off at church with a bunch of Rwandan women who had way better moves than me. If you've seen me dance, you know what I'm talking about. But I don't regret it for a minute, and you will not regret this. I'm not going to make you dance before you start sweating. As we sing our next hymn, we're going to practice celebration. A little bit of this already happened this morning, so kudos to those of you who already have extra credit in the bank for this morning. Take your palm branch or your hands, whichever, and put them way up and wave them high during this hymn. It's a hymn that's pretty familiar, so you're not going to need to be married to the hymnal the whole time, okay? And uh, none of this wimpy palm branch waving that we've all done in our lives before. I know you've done it. I've done it too. This little, I'm just going to hold it over here. We're doing some real waving happening this morning. And I know that hymnals are awkward and heavy. See, I've thought all of this through. I've heard all of these objections before. Find a buddy and trade off or hold it together or find some creative way together to figure this out. Or don't hold the hymnal at all. Hum along with the song and wave your palm branch anyway. As you sing the words of the hymn, sing it like you mean it. Hosanna, glory to God. 
God, bring us peace. This is our time to cry out so that the rocks don't have to. And I'm going to ask, I'm sorry I didn't warn you ahead of time, Cindy, but I would like to sing the third verse twice, because I think that that really gets to the heart of all of this. That third verse ends with, Oh, may we ever praise him with heart and life and voice and in his blissful presence eternally rejoice. Let us join our voices together in song.